and welcome to episode six of the Painter Bear Quarterly Slush Pile. We take more time than other editorial boards, but we stand behind our methodology, so much so that we're going to share our process with you through this podcast. Welcome to the editorial table. So I am Kathleen Volk-Miller. I'm co-editor of the Painter Bear Quarterly, and I run the graduate program in publishing here at Drexel University. And um, I publish mostly memoir at this point. Um, I've got two people in the studio with me today, and one of them is Tim Fitz. Hi, my name is Tim Fitz, and I'm an instructor here at Drexel University, and I've been reading with the Painted Bride Quarterly for a few years. I mostly write short stories, but occasionally novels, and I'm happy to have some photography work in the upcoming issue of the Santa Clara Review. Wonderful. And we have a first-timer. Hi, I'm Melody Nielsen. I'm a recent graduate of Drexel University um, and a former editorial intern for Painted Bride Quarterly. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, join you guys today. That's wonderful. Okay, and Jason, tell us about yourself and where you are. Hi, this is Jason Schneiderman. I'm associate editor at Painted Bride Quarterly and head of the New York staff, as well as an assistant professor at the Borough of Manhattan Community College. And I am at my lovely home in Bedford-Stuyvesant at a yellow Parsons table. Lovely. Um, I can picture you almost. I haven't seen the house since it's been completely redone. Um, Miriam. Hi, I'm Miriam Heyer. I'm a senior editor of PBQ and I'm on the New York staff and I'm coming to you from Union Square where I am looking out the window at a beautiful day and a beautiful tree that's looking alive. So I'm feeling good. Oh, wonderful. First, it is starting to actually feel and look like spring out there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so Mary and Ren um, is in a nine hour time difference from us and she's entertaining people at a conference, literally sending me shots of herself at a party and also telling me that she hopes to jump in on this um, session if and when she can. So we'll see if that happens. If that does happen, we'll call her Dr. Ren to distinguish between Maryam and Marianne. But something happened, you guys, for the first time. This is only episode six, but a poet said no, that we could not discuss her work on this podcast. And I think we should talk about that for just a minute or two, because, um, you know, I'm not that great at math, but roughly we've asked 12 to 15 poets and everybody has said yes. And when we were at AWP talking to about 12,000 poets, all of them were saying, what can I do to get on your podcast? <laughs> so, so let's discuss. We have a poet who said no. Yeah, I mean, I think just by asking, you're giving yourself the chance that somebody might say no. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I'm saying that most people yeah. want to hear their work discussed. Yeah. I mean, I think like everybody has this like sick desire to hear what other people think of their work but then maybe when it gets to when it comes right down to it it is it is pretty scary mm -hmm. to to hear your work discussed in such an objective manner right we're going to read them anyway right <laughs> no no that but would be illegal public. we're going to discuss them but not in public before that this podcast is in many ways kind of aligned with the ways in which social media is doing a huge amount of work to dissolve the boundaries between public and private. 
And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who are moving off of social media and who are kind of insisting that they do want a kind of privacy. And it doesn't surprise me that someone would want to say, actually, I'd rather not be discussed in public. I would like the work to be presented or not presented, Mm -hmm. but um, I'd rather have the kind of uh, discussion stay behind closed doors. Yeah, I don't want to quote or misquote. I'm not going to read the email, but she she just basically said, this is still private for me. This is still new to me. It's still private for me. I I can't, the, the thought of having a conversation about my work go public is just something I'm not comfortable with. So absolutely respect. I, I think that's interesting because my own kind of imagined anxiety would really revolve around hearing the editorial conversation. I mean, I guess also everyone else hearing it, but I think that there is something that, especially for people who are developing their work, um, there's something intimidating about letting in that possible influence, right? Like letting in the judgment. Right. Um, And, you know, when it's just yes or no, that's one thing, but when there's substantive kind of content, um, it could influence how you feel about your own work. Right. Yeah, our joke has been um, a couple episodes ago, Maggie Queenie said, how fascinating and terrifying. (laughs) And that was the response we got from a lot of the people we were talking about at AWP. Scary. Oh, my God. How do I do it? Right. (laughs) So um, the scary, the scary part, you know, makes a lot of sense. Um, And just to be clear to any of our listeners, you know, every submission is considered for the podcast, but we would never um, do one of two things. We would never discuss you anyway on the podcast, and we would never discuss you differently at the editorial table if you say no. Um, this poet had a little bit concern in that regard as well, that she, uh, that the work would not be discussed in the same way. And, um, you know, I did my best. I hope I assured her. So, so that's that for that. I just thought it was interesting and worth a moment of our time. Well, I, I do understand the fear of having your work discussed publicly like that. But I also, for me, a greater fear is having no idea what the editorial board is thinking of my work. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. How close you're getting or how it's resonating with, with people outside yeah. your, your little you know, well, that's also how yeah. workshops are constructed, right? I mean, the idea of the Iowa workshop where you're silent while everyone talks about your work and anyone who's ever taught a workshop or been in a workshop knows how fraught that space can be. And I mean, mm-hmm. if you can think about, you know, the worst experience you've ever had in a workshop and then having that be frozen in amber on a podcast that just kind of keeps going out into the world, I I understand why that person would make that choice. And I was also thinking that there's a lot of discourse around um, safe spaces and risk. And we tend to have, you know, this kind of like culture that valorizes risk and valorizes courage and valorizes, you know, going out there and, um, you know, being vulnerable. But there's also, you know, a real push to create safe spaces where people can feel comfortable. And I'm, I'm not surprised that someone would err on the side of safety over risk. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see how it keeps going. I mean, so far the percentage is high of folks that would rather have it discussed. So um, I guess we'll just keep on moving on. I mean, as a young writer who's kind of submitted to a lot of places and gotten a lot of rejections, you know, (laughs) um, and some acceptances. But um, I I feel like I would love to hear, you know, what people are saying about my work so that I can then kind of go to work at 
you know, right. making it more whatever it needs to be. Right. The poets who've gotten back to um, me, whose work we've discussed, are all using a lot of the same language that you guys are using right now, that it felt like a workshop again, you know, that they were afraid, but they would rather mm-hmm. listen than not know, and um, and all of those things. Yeah. So hopefully, um, I, I feel like we will always have enough poets who are willing, and um, we're going to be doing fiction, too, down the line. So everybody, make sure you're aware of that. Um, but... Let's jump in here. We have uh, Carlos Gomez, Morning Rikers Island, to start us off. And who would like to read? I'll read. Thank you, Melody. Good morning, Rikers Island. Physics and light pierce the hollow stench of the forgotten gymnasium stripped naked of cloths. All the boys stopped, offered their grief to each other like water, glancing out the only window they shared. A single ray unfolds its warmth across the dusty belly of the thudded parquet. And here's the miracle. Thanks, Miriam. Um, I think we're all still just staring at the poem <laughs> for another second. Um, remember that these poems are available for you to read along with us on the PBQ site at each episode's, um, on each episode. There's a lot of um, words and phrases that I really like here. Um, I underlined some things. Um, hollow stench, um, dusty belly, um, strip naked of clocks. I do, I like a lot of the things that he's doing with like interesting, um, interesting sounds of words and like images. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of there until the last two lines. And then it, it kind of gets a little, a little cheesy for me yeah. there. <laughs> you know, I, I liked the cheese there because it surprised me. I actually think that was a moment that I went, oh, like it's something as simple as that. Here we are in Rikers Island with all this grief and, and you know, this visual of these people looking out their mm-hmm. single shared window. But they could, you know, but the fact that another day had come could still be perceived as a miracle. Yeah. I think the word miracle just conjures up like, cheesy lifetime movies and things like that for me. I don't yeah. know. There's something about that word yeah. that I just don't, I don't like. Sure. That's just personal. So were they all in the gymnasium in the dark? I don't know. Like, I don't really understand how the ray of light, I, I mean, I'm kind of confused by, by how the ray of light sort of is so profoundly distracting. Like were they, were they, like, were they sleeping in there? Were they, I, I'm confused. Well, I think that the the sun is, like, there's just been a shift, right? So there, the sun has, I guess, risen. Um, and to me, the fact that we started not only with light, but with physics and light, that there's, there's some kind of movement um, either of the sun itself or of the rays. Um, and I think that there's also, I mean, I think that there's also this moment in which it's calling a different quality of attention um, that uh, that makes the miracle possible. Um, yeah, I read it the same way as Miriam. Something about physics being involved in the light and the stripped naked of clo- of clocks. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that they were in a gym in the dark, but I think the sun just started beaming in that window. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So there's there's something different about the quality of the sunlight that is 
that's made their uh, attention. Compelling. Yeah. It was stunning. Mm, that's my read. I'm kind of hung up on this line, stripped naked of clocks. I love this line because everywhere is so stripped naked of clocks now. It's so difficult to find out. I mean, I've got a pretty good sense of time. I pretty much always know about what time it is, but I'm trying to teach my kids how to tell time. And every time I want to show them the time, or if I really need to know the time, if I'm late for class or got a deadline. Um, I mean, we all have our phones and we all have ways to tell times ourselves, but there's no collective sort of baseline of time around anywhere anymore. Wow. And it's, it, for me, it's kind of a suffocated feeling. It's, I don't, I don't like this, this movement of no clocks. It mm. feels sort of imprisoning for me. And I like that, that this is one of the, the, uh, the images that this writer brings out. See, for me, that line almost creates this sort of like dreamlike quality where this is like a place that time doesn't exist mm -hmm. um, or where, you know, there's this sense of unreality, you know, like um, they could they say you can tell you're dreaming if you like look at a clock and it's doing weird things. Oh. Um, for me, it's kind of it kind of heightens the sense that this is a place that is not part of our reality, because for me, it seems like. Yeah, there's not any analog clocks anywhere anymore, but we all have yeah, our phones that we know exactly what time it is at all times. That's the feeling I also get yeah. by not having clocks around. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's kind of just just to expand on the idea of of time in this environment. Um, I I kind of like the idea of the sun moving so that the, the day has actually started before you realize that the day has that, that another day has come. Right, that it. When the sun is in a particular position in this forgotten room, then you kind of acknowledge this miracle. Um, and I was also really conscious of the fact that the people in this room, though it is void of clocks, are, are sentenced. Like there's something about their time that has been um, quite literally taken from them. Right. Um, but also the, the end of the poem made me feel like there was also a possibility of being so present because of that. Like when you think of the the fact that this poem is about taking note of sunlight in a particular way, um, not exactly in a redemptive way, but that, that it, it kind of allows for a different sense of observation. Well, I, I mean, I've only taught in prisons. I've never actually been imprisoned, but um, there is a different passage of time in jail and there's a different kind of attention. Um, and I'm, I'm willing to trust the poet that this is an accurate representation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the title is smart with physics and light and then the single ray and the cheese ball last two lines. <laughs> For me, they work. Um, I think we might be able to vote on this one. I don't know if there's much more to say and we have so much more to do. Would you, are, are we voting to vote? Yeah. Can we vote to vote? vote? Okay. Um, so Miriam and Jason are New Yorkers. If you can um, text Joe your yes or no, that would be terrific. And in the room, we're going to do our one, two, three, shoot. Thumbs up, thumbs down. One, two, three, shoot. Okay. So in the room, we have two yes and one no. One yes and one no. And in New York, we have one yes and one no. So... It's three to two. Majority rules. Morning, yes. Rikers Island is in.
Okie dokie. We have another longer, um, differently shaped one from, from uh, Carlos next. Interracial in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Who wants to do that? I can read. Thank you, Melody. <clears throat> Interracial in Flatbush, Brooklyn. We watch them do this, expand from all directions like lungs abruptly filling with water as we hold hands and walk through the eye of another storm. A man grabs his crotch, offering it to my wife, flings a mouthful of spit and epithets toward us. Each pupil is a dim swamp flooding, silence blanketing a shallow body in Neshoba County, dusk shedding its absence across the congealed oven grease beneath a rusted burner. A woman's neck swivels when we pass wraps a hard vowel around her tongue like lighter fluid choking a glass bottle holding a fuse. On this corner, scored by dance hall and soca, there is nothing more novel than me and my love's contrasting hues. It ignites a rush of color from these strangers' faces. They ring us a violence familiar as February weather. Mine, our skin for metaphors, demand. We offer answers to questions. They are still forming like infants from their throats. I have watched my body's primal wisdom flicker dark as a fist-concealed palm ache so volatile it screams for release. Rage is a language I unlearn on the corner of Ocean Avenue and Church. No shoreline or cathedrals in sight. Only fractured things decorating a broken sidewalk like littered snow. A new voice pierces the air, a flood of sound that hits me like a wall of ice, louder and higher pitched than those before. This time a small child with brown eyes, brown skin and green eyes, writhing in her flimsy stroller, pointing toward the dimpled oval. Is the child at uh, the end of the poem his child? That I was a little confused about. I do not think so. Because I It seems like he would mention yeah. right, because like, I mean the wife is in the poem. Right. Yeah. And the first line, we watch them do this, expand from all directions mm -hmm. like lungs, right? As we hold hands and walk through the eye of another storm. So it's an interracial couple taking a walk and then talking about each of the people they pass and their reactions. And that's what the little child does at the end. Mm -hmm. um, because the, they keep walking, right? I leave behind in the hazel colored slush. Mm -hmm. so, so do we have do we have an interracial child recognizing like is there something that this child sees in the man that makes the child uh, recognize resemblance? Like I, I was just interested in the fact that we're we're pointing out that the child has brown skin and green eyes and whether that's supposed to code as an interracial kind of identity that's mm -hmm. how i read it yeah. that's, that's yeah. what i saw mm -hmm. yeah <sighs> what's the sigh for jason schneiderman that was a very specific and targeted sigh um <laughs> i should have silenced my mic i don't know um i uh, i don't know it's okay. it makes me i mean like like uh, trying to separate the the sadness of the fact that interracial couples are still treated um, as objects of harassment in Flatbush or in America. The, the reference to Neshoba uh, County, which is where the three civil rights workers were killed in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. 
um, the kind of direct line between the sort of failure, well, the successes of the civil rights movement and the failures of the civil rights movement and the uh, movement forward. And then just trying to sort of like, you know, do the question of like uh, talking about the art separately from the politics. Uh, Claudia Rankin was talking about that at, at AWP, that it was important not to um, do exactly what I'm trying to do right now, which is sort of thinking about it artistically and politically in separate breaths. And I'm trying to think of, you know, like I can do that together. And so that's, that's my, my sigh is for American history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you could probably tell by my um, increasingly enthusiastic reading of this that I really enjoyed this poem. Um, I mean, and just me personally, I, I love poetry that's both personal, personal and political and this felt like both to me um as well as having some really powerful phrases um that I really felt um reverberate as I was reading I don't understand why rage is unlearned as I on the corner of ocean and church it seems to me that that rage would be building I was actually just looking at that line I think um well I mean I can relate it to something um, that I've experienced um, in terms of maybe like street harassment where you kind of learn to ignore people's comments and to not respond in a way that feels like you're letting go of that like angry response. That's kind of how I read that, that it's it's almost like not even worth it to try and be angry about it. I think it's because there's a the habit of feeling rage at the harassment, and then you hear the the little kid's voice, and you realize that the kid's not harassing him, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's an innocent voice, and that he has to sort of check his emotions and sort of instead of just relying on his instinct or the habit of of responding in that manner. Did I win? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was that was me. But I, I get, I also like this poet. I, I like the, the poem we just read, and I like, I feel like the voice is, is um, the, it's a nice, rich voice with a lot of great images and, and, and action. Yeah. And um, this poem feels a lot denser and a lot more emotive than the, than the previous one. And I think that's why I, it feels like there, the stakes are higher mm-hmm. for the poet. Um, I think that's why I'm really uh, feeling this one. Mm-hmm. Miriam, how you doing there in Union Square? Um, I am working on, you know, similar to the unlearning, working on I have watched my body's primal wisdom flicker dark as a fist conceals palm, like, I'm working on dark there Mm. and the fact that, that there's something in your body that you have inherited. When I think of like a primal kind of, it's in you, you've inherited it. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of living in those lines right now. I didn't go to the Claudia Rankin talk. 
we tried. I forget what what happened that we didn't make it there. And and now reading this and hearing what Jason had to say about it, uh, you know, I think for me, it the the art is really present. This isn't just quote unquote just. I don't know how to use just there. <laughs> um, a political statement. I think it's really well crafted. No, I, I think it is very personal. I'm I'm not on board with all of the images um, as, as much as I want to be. Mm-hmm. Do you think we can vote on this one? Yeah. All right, Miriam, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Uh, one, two, three, shoot. What do we have there, Joe? Two no's. We have uh, three yeses and two no's. So it's another one that's I in. Yes. Um, I'm going to also ask you guys, should we ask if we can put that one in locals? Should that oh, yeah, one go? Oh, yeah, All right. Actually, that, that would, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Okay. So the Rikers Island can be in an unthemed and the um, Flatbush will go in locals. Uh, we have one more from this poet, uh, and it's called Black Hair. Tim, you want to read this one? Sure. Black Hair. I made her a vow that I always would. I made her a vow that I always would. So I joined two fresh clusters in my clumsy and careful hands as I cradle her slumbering nape. I am submerged in the calculus of it all as though concentration is where I took my misstep, as though I am not three decades behind in my practice, as though it is just about finding the pattern too late. I'm too late, I think, or maybe it's something else. His hands never knew how to fix my sister's hair. I tend each thick onyx strand like I'm mending her favorite blanket, as though my calloused digits might coax and shape anything into an ordered grace. I layer another braid into the tiny maze crowning her scalp. I can feel with each pull and twist the newly assembled crib watching. I don't understand that last line. I guess they have a new crib, so maybe they're expecting a baby. Expecting, okay. So the person whose hair is being braided is 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 a lover, not a daughter. I think I also assumed it was a a, uh, a young girl. I made her a vow that I always would. Maybe not. His hands never knew. As I cradle her slumbering nape, I just yeah yeah um, and then later he says, his hands never knew how to fix my sister's hair. Right. And then who's and then who's he? I, there's a lot of pronouns here that are not <laughs> being attributed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why I assumed it was a father braiding a daughter's hair because I thought that he was then making a comparison to his father's relationship with his sister. But uh, I mean, I don't have really any evidence for that. That was just my reading. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that, that makes sense that the, um, the wife is interracial and... Um, had a white father who didn't know how to do black hair. And oh, he doesn't want to be in that same position sense. as they're looking at the crib for the child they're about to have. 
as he does his wife's hair. There you go. I, I really like the rhythms of this one much better than the rhythms of the last one. I really thought that this was um, the prosody in this one. I thought was much much stronger. I some of the phrases in here feel really forced to me, or just like just like trying a, a little too hard. I don't know. Submerged in the calculus of it all, it just I don't know. It's such a it's such a loving act, and I I love the image of it, but I feel like. I feel like that gets lost in this very like precise, almost like technical language that he uses in some places. Mm-hmm. That my uh, my callous digits, my coax and shape. I don't know. It feels. Um, I don't know. It feels rigid to me. Does anybody feel creepy? Creeped mm-hmm. out? Creepy? I feel no. Like, I well, her, well, but this is going on while she's sleeping. Or slumbering, Slumber, slumbering, slumbering could be. No, but her hair is. Yeah, I, I feel like resting. As I cradle I thought, her slumbering nape. I hate. Oh, I hate that. I hate <laughs> slumbering nape. That's so. There's something about the word nape that just really, really makes my skin crawl. I don't I, know. Yeah, Miriam, did you just say slumbering is resting? No, I just meant that. I like, that. there's. There's a pre and I don't know. I, to me, one of the things that was interesting to think about in this kind of vision of fatherhood that I cooked up is that, you know, three decades behind in practice, not only because there's the interracial relationship that we're kind of breeding into this, but also because he's a man who's assuming he's going to be doing a, girl, a little girl's hair. And I think that that is kind of one of the displacements or one of the interesting kind of challenges of having a child who's not exactly like you. And, and I, I was very sympathetic to it. All right. Yeah, I, I like the word. I, I don't have a problem with the word Nate. <laughs> That's just personal. Part. Even with slumbering in front of it, slumbering Nate. Oh, I don't know. It sounds like something from like a vampire novel to me. Her slumbering Nate. I hate to compare this poem to the, poem before that I liked, which I liked a lot, but the shift that happens in the previous poem to me is more powerful than, than what's happening in this poem. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've lived abroad for a number of years in, in a couple of years living in the countryside in South Korea, I, I dealt with daily harassment and there's a kind of bitterness that happens when you're just, when you're taunted by every kid in the city mm-hmm. and and that and it makes you it makes you hardened for a while and um it, it, so i for me that's a personal reason why i like that second poem I like that moment this one it seems less important for for this uh for the for the voice in this poem and the eyes on, on another issue there's 13 eyes, which sounds a little bit nitpicky, but this seems like there's got to be a way to have less <laughs> eyes in a poem. And they just kind of, the, what, every time I hear an eye, I think, I, 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 I think, after a while, I think I don't care anymore because about know. this person and their poem. And it's just a reaction I have. But if there are maybe just a few of eyes, and then I, then I think I am less bothered by it. I, I get what you're saying. I think my thing with this which is kind of related is that I kind of like I don't really know what the stakes are like 
like what like I was saying with the poem before, I was like, the stakes feel really high. I understand mm-hmm. what is um like what the what the problem is or like what the you know you know, yeah. but um I feel I, like with I, this one I'm not sure. I feel like yeah, I don't really know why I should care almost. I well, think that I, I think that this poem actually tells us what the stakes are and the her made her a vow. Yeah. And whether the her is the romantic partner slash mother or it's the unborn child, there really is something extremely anxiety causing about being an expecting parent who's not sure you can fulfill all of the promises of parenthood, especially the ones that are specific to your situation, which is that you're going to have to possibly braid black hair. And I think that, you know, this is, I I took it as a very serious kind of moment of, um, you know, expecting that you're going to have to perform and imagining an audience such that even the newly assembled crib is possibly judging you or looking at you or that there's, there's this real moment where you have to kind of live the embodiment of your relationship. And I think that that happens for all parents, but this is a very particular challenge. Mm -hmm. I I think for me, I'm reading it the way Miriam is that there's so much intimacy in the relationship between the husband and wife. And then the fear of that being triangulated by this child that maybe failed. Um, I, I found that really poignant. Okay. It sounds like we're ready to vote. Yeah. You guys ready? One, two, three, shoot. Yes. We have three yeses and two no's. So Carlos Gomez in total is three for three. That's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. And these poems well done, are Carlos. Yeah. Very um think it's interesting that our votes were as they were, you know, um, as as uh Diverse as they were, but it's terrific. Three for three for Carlos Gomez. And um, uh, yeah, let's move on to Adam Day. Now, if you remember, if you're a good listener, you listened to episode five where we talked about the fact that Adam Day had um, had some stuff in Submittable that got sucked out one by one and accepted by other places. And um, he sent us a new batch. And these poems are from that new batch. Um, who would like to read The Quiet Life? Tim? Adam Day, The Quiet Life. You is a pricey practical joke, a missed appointment, termination that didn't take, doctor without depth, military march, intolerant of mystery, a dinner party, grope, and stock exchange, growing aroused in the shadow of compromised, in the pantry's smell of lessening, of whatever comes along. You have him, you can't have anything dripping, and no one to see, and you should be feared to share him, your shrunk-breasted enthusiasm and shaven gape, like a mouth ajar, an overworn loafer, you'll lip-tongue and hand him poor spunk, half-screwed, like moth larva rolling in a rice jar, to make nothing out of nothing but a back bend and take three quarters of an hour over it. No one ever captured the insanity of monologue like you did, vulgarizing anger into irritation and a plaster of panic, grinding fists into your eyes like our child. So quiet now it scrapes the calm from bones, punctuated with involuntary exonerations, the house in weed, shingles steaming, all fog and submission, 
a celibate brothel. If nuns carried their duties as you sexed all saints, they'd be. No, no solicitation in a street urinal, no sodomizing the duck on account of its down, no slush of thrushes in the, in the rain gutter, no train of dangers or snoring next door, eyes unlit, half the sun and twice the rent. Okay, I'll start the conversation with my ignorance. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> what, 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 what? So I read this. I read this a couple times uh, because I read it, Kathy, when you first sent over the file, and I was mm-hmm. like, "What?" And then reading it again now, I think this is just like one hell of a diss track towards someone. <laughs> um, maybe his ex-wife, because he says, "Like our child." Um, I don't want to assume wife ex. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like he's just really, really disgusted with someone. Which I like him kind of into. <laughs> I feel like it, it's an unusual. It's a, it's a feeling in a poem that you don't see. I think as often mm-hmm. as other things, you know. Um, and it's definitely some of the images are like gross and creepy, which I think is the intention, which I like. Uh, and then with that title on top, the quiet life. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it won me over with sodomizing the duck. <laughs> oh, see that? I was like, Ugh. I don't know. No, it did. I, no. I, I, I do really like some of those phrases. I've just never heard so many yeah. of those in such a small space. <laughs> that I, I was reading and I didn't like, I don't really like the poem very much, but I, I love some of those moments. I love all fog and submission. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, some of the syntax is confusing, though. Um, you can't wait. Okay, so you'll have him. You can't have anything dripping and no one to see. I'm kind of trying to figure out what is the syntax that's happening mm-hmm. in that phrase. I'm not really sure. And it signals at the very beginning. Um, I thought with you as a pricey practical joke that it was really going to be about the notion of self. Sorry, you guys won again. Um, <laughs> I felt like I needed more context for this. Um, And it's not that I want everything to make narrative sense. Um, I'm totally okay with, you know, a a kind of free floating play with syntax, emotion and feeling. But in this one, I I really did want uh, something to ground it a little bit more. And I wondered if it would make sense in the context of a manuscript or a narrative. So just, I felt like there wasn't enough to kind of position me in terms of the poem. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, Melody, maybe we all are getting like that it would be fun to see something fresh with all of this vitriol directed at someone, mm-hmm. but w- we need a little more of that focus, a little no, more of yeah, that No, yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely agree. I think the fact that I had to read it three times in order to make some sort of connection of... <laughs> meaning with it yeah speaks to that it's a lot of words <laughs> and a lot of like play with words which is fun but there's a lot of places that I don't feel it connecting mm-hmm. you want to vote or Miriam you didn't chime in on that you ready to just vote I am ready to vote okay let's go One, two, three, vote.
So that is a no on that one. Um, but we have more from Madam Day. So let's move on. Um, my Telemachus. I can read. Okay. My Telemachus. The dog drinking water sounds like a horse trotting, my five-year-old says. Well, look at you, brilliant little Oedipal bastard trying to steal my crown. And he is illegitimate. Ask your mother if you can find her. But Patton was too, and look what he achieved. You know, I didn't love this when I was reading it, but hearing it out loud, I enjoyed it a lot more. I love this image of, like, a father being jealous of his son's, like, um, talent with words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, you you little bastard, you stole my, you stole my literary thunder. Yeah. Um, I like the, like the Telemachus reference. Yeah. The, there was a tiny misread um, in the parenthetical toward the end. Uh, brilliant little Oedipal bastard trying to steal my crown. And he is illegitimate. Ask his mother if you can find her. Is addressing like this other person instead of your mother. There's just a tiny mystery. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's cool, but I think it's important. Yeah, yeah. Ask his um, mother. Right. So um, you can see these poems on our site page, but that phrase is also in a parenthetical, which I like. Yeah. And he is illegitimate. Ask his mother if you can find her. That's it. That's it. So Patton was also trying to steal his crown. No, Patton was also illegitimate. Right. This syntax. But the parentheses, right? Right. Okay. Brilliant little Oedipal bastard trying to steal my crown, but Patton was too, and look what he achieved. Is really how you would read right. it. Uh, you are so right. right. Grammar, grammar, grammar. The copy editor in you has won. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the copy editing is strong with this one. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's a mistake. <laughs> no, I just. It is. I like well, it is a mistake. You are saying it's a mistake. I think. Mary, sorry, Marion, you're absolutely right. We have to move the um, last, the, the the second parentheses has to go to right before the period. Yeah. Um, so if it's not trying to steal my crown, open parentheses, and he's illegitimate, semicolon, ask his mother if you can find her, comma, but Patton was too, and look what he achieved, close parentheses, period. Uh, we we have to ask for that edit that whole thing could end on a parenthetical that actually would be cool i like that jason yeah yeah i like that this is a a poem that tells a story Mm -hmm. and just like in a very in a very small little encased receptacle really tiny yeah it's a little tiny thing and i like that it feels like you kind of understand the relationship between this father and son mm-hmm. a little bit by just reading this interaction and the mother oh. yeah and we ask for the edit that jason just asked for because of Miriam's copy editing wizardry um we also get to end it with the direct address to the son right the his last words are trying to steal my crown right and then it's uh-huh. a parenthetical to us so that's kind of fun yeah yeah so um, 
little side note, uh, we do sometimes ask authors for edits. We try to avoid that and basically say yes or no on what we see on the page. But um, if an edit is easy, like this one, moving a parenthetical, deleting a whole stanza, uh, we will on occasion ask for edits. This would be one I would be comfortable asking for, for sure. Yeah. Um, are you guys ready to vote? New York, I'm ready, ready to vote. All right, let's and do we're it. voting with the with the request for the with the um, yes with the request with the assumption that the edit will be granted. Okay, ready. Right. One, two, three. Vote. It's a split decision, um, but more people have said yes. So Adam Day is now one down, one in. Right. All right. Jason, you haven't read. I like to hear everyone read, but I like to hear you read. Do you want to read the next one? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take the next one. Okay. Although I'm not sure how to say Openango. Is that me saying that right? Openango? I do. Sounds Ooh, good. Say it again. Say it again. Say it one more time. Openango? Yeah, I like it. I'm guessing. I'm putting the accent on the second to last syllable as though it's Spanish. I don't know. Um, I like Openango. It. <laughs> after Sherman Alexei. I had just begun ice fishing. A walleye taught me how. A fish with a headdress. He called me white man. Man, I'm tired of that racist shit. It's like, if I didn't vacation at your ice hole, you wouldn't have that casino and don't look <laughs> at me like that lying on your side a vein well that caused quite a quite a <laughs> titter in the in the room yeah this one's got attitude <laughs> like Okanango is a native american language ah oh thanks for looking that up I liked how you read it. You read it staccato. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. I think what really gets me is uh it's like if I didn't vacation at your ice hole, you wouldn't have that casino. Yeah, that was the line that made yeah. everybody yeah. bust out. That's a that's a that really got me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's ironic. I don't think. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's right. in the voice of the Trump supporter who <laughs> thinks that a casino makes up for genocide. Yeah, or thinks that reverse racism exists. I love that image at the end. Um, a vein of blood skating the black plate of your eye. Yeah. Uh, so can I ask why the title? Because I know Jason told us that it is a native language, but so, so it's a native people. I, um, it's a native people, uh, the Abenaki people of New Hampshire. It's Openango is is the native name. Oh I... wait, sorry, um, I'm googling too quickly. Openango was the name of a historical community of Abenaki people in New Hampshire. It may have been a French or English corruption of the Abenaki place name Benokoic which means at the falling bank and is also the source of the tribal name Penacook. Okay. So, so we're suspecting that the reason for the title is that these are the people he's engaging with and visiting. Yeah. Yeah. That, that places us 
I wonder, I know Sherman Alexie is a Native American poet. Um, I wonder if he is um, Okanongo or if that's a, I don't know, if that's a direct reference to his heritage or if he writes about, if he writes about that in one of his poems. Are you Googling Jason? Isn't he from Washington? I am. <laughs> I'm not sure. I am, I am checking to see. Yeah. The, um, while Jason's looking that up first, I really do like the rhythm of this. I have to say the truth on this, too. On the page, I was just not that engaged. Uh, but hearing it really worked. Um, Sherman Alexie was from is from Spokane, Washington. So I don't know why it's after Sherman Alexie specifically. Hmm. Yeah. Well, he does write a lot about um, Native Americans and the ways in which they're mistreated and misunderstood. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm just looking again. Um, I really like these couple of lines. Um, a walleye taught me how to fish, a fish with a headdress. I like the little added um, moment that this this native fish that he's bad mouthing is the one who taught him the skills that he's mm -hmm. currently using. I like that's a that's a nice little um, ironic twist in there. Mm -hmm. I, I like the poem. I don't I don't like the the line. I'm tired of that racist shit because I feel like that tells me what I was already thinking. And I don't, I'm not crazy about the Sherman Alexei uh, at the beginning because for me it's distracting because when I read it the first time, when I looked it up and saw that it was from New Hampshire and I knew he was from Washington, it just put me out of sorts before starting it. And it and it stayed there. It wasn't something that, and it's still not going away in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. bothered. <clears throat> It, it makes me think like any any Indian name will do, any Native American mm -hmm. name or tribe will do with it, and maybe that's maybe that's my issue, or maybe there's something that I'm not seeing here. But yeah. it, it is a I'd little like distracting. I'd like to know what the what the actual allusion is, if it's to a specific poem or. Yeah, and I think but, it works anyway. I think everything else works besides those two things. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah, I actually don't have a problem with the. Um, I'm tired of that racist shit because to me it feels like a really apt caricature of a specific kind of person that, you know, kind of person that I've met or mm -hmm. engaged with on Facebook in the past. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I actually kind of like it. I think it's it's funny. Neither of these issues are deal breakers for me. They're just two issues that kind of get on my nerves. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. I understand that we're in this this voice and, and that some of the some of the work here is irony and is perhaps um, inherently delightful, but I don't really know where the poem is pointing me. I don't know that I have kind of seen anything new or enlightening about this voice. I'm not talking about like a, you know, a lesson or a kind of way of thinking, but I don't really know what the poem is bringing to me other than the momentary delight of the absurdity, which when you think about it is not really delightful at all. So I, I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah, it makes me think of the thing that we talk about, the one-time read. Do you read this mm -hmm. once and then not come back? 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I sort of feel like it moves in two directions because at the beginning, there's this sort of um, just so story, right? There's a kind of surrealist or magical realist um, fable quality, a walleye taught me how to fish, a fish with a headdress. And then it just kind of... Um, goes in a totally different direction and it moves away from, I mean, I'm, I'm just not, yeah, I'm, I'm not, um, the movement of the poem feels a little off to me, mm-hmm. but I, but I get it. Right. I mean, like, like we're in the midst of a sort of just so story, but then it moves into, um, race. Yeah. Racism. Well, I think it's that what we may interpret at first as magical realism is actually always racism. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're kind of um, in this in this discourse before we realize we're in it. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. That we're in the discourse before we really. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. That the, the discourse is always. Um, I'm gonna sigh again. I'm gonna try not. It can be your thing. It can be my thing. Yeah. Like, you can have yeah, a sigh. That's a Jason Schneiderman sigh. <sighs> I guess I, I guess I'm also wondering, um, like who is Adam Day and what's his investment in this topic? Mm-hmm. Is he of Native American descent? Is he white? Is he someone who's involved in sort of anti racist like activism? Like is it so he's not allowed what? to write about this no, if no, he's, he's not any of those things? No, I mean, I certainly think he's allowed to write about it. I just, I'm, like uh, like Jason was saying, like, I don't, I guess I'm not sure why his voice on this is a voice that matters to no. me. I don't, yeah. like, like I like, I do, I like the poem, um, but it is also kind of, I'm not sure what the, investment mm-hmm. is hmm. are we ready to vote we can't vote on whether we're ready to vote <laughs> we're ready i think i'm, I'm ready. ready okay all right <laughs> i'm sorry yes i'm ready <laughs> one two three vote what do we got Who knows? okay that one's a no um, there was a, a little wink of a yes there, but yeah, it's the majority is a no on that one. So Adam Day is uh one for three, which isn't too bad. And that had that interesting story behind it. So, um, good work, everyone. Uh, there's no time to talk about associated writing programs and the fact that I saw Jason Schneider in the least of any time because he was busy with his own newest book. Right, Jason? I know. I was, I was really, it was, it was my busiest AWP ever. Yeah. The least we hung out. So we'll have to make up for that soon in Philly or New York. Um, But for our listeners, please uh, let us know what you think. Every episode has its own Facebook event and they're linked on our own webpage and on our Facebook page. Um, Thank you for your patience as we're still learning how to do this whole thing. Um, Sign up for our email list uh, we will not inundate you four emails a month at the very most. Uh, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope and we will send you a PBQ podcast slush podcast pile sticker, which I know you want. So um, read on, visit us, and thank you for listening.
This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information Resources and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.